Welcome to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast about children's mental health and emotional well-being. I'm Dr. Leah Gugino, a primary care pediatrician, and I created this podcast for the pediatric medical community and anyone who cares about children's behavioral health. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. Hey listeners, today's episode is a bonus and it is a special episode I want to bring you because it is a call to action. So my guest today is Dr. Joshua Prudent. Josh is a third-year pediatric resident at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and he's the district resident representative to the American Academy of Pediatrics for District 5, which includes Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, and Ontario. Joshua completed his medical school at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Maryland and initially hails from the San Francisco Bay Area of California. Joshua plans to spend some time working in an urgent care setting following residency before pursuing a fellowship in pediatric hematology and oncology. His advocacy interests include immigrant and refugee rights, vaccine advocacy, youth mental and behavioral health, secure pediatric research funding, and a child injury prevention uh, safety. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Joshua Prudent. Hey, Josh, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you again. Thank you for having me again. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, you reached out about something exciting that you're doing. And this is a bonus episode for me. So it will be going up on a day that is before I usually post, but there's something happening that I think people ought to know about. So why don't you tell me about your trainees for childhood injury prevention and what their goals are, and then we'll get into why we're doing this podcast tonight. Okay. Well, as we mentioned earlier in my bio, I'm like the third year resident here in Columbus, Ohio. I go to Nationwide Children's Hospital's Pediatric Residency, and I have a lot of advocacy interests that I've explored during my medical school and residency training. As part of this, I became a member of an organization that blossomed out of uh, a prior residence work here at Nationwide Children's called, the organization is called Trainees for Child Injury Prevention. T4CIP, which is what we call it, it's how the acronym looks is a group of trainees, medical students, residents, and fellows in pediatric or pediatric-interested paths who come from all over the country. There's one from in Michigan, there's two to three in Ohio, I know there's one in Wisconsin, and there's several in California and New York across the coast. We're quite widespread, and it's a quite a large group of trainees. The group is sort of sponsored by the Center for Injury Research and Policy here at Nationwide Children's Hospitals. And it has advisors and faculty mentors that are experts in injury prevention and advocacy that come from multiple institutes across the country, not just the Nationwide Children's Hospital. Got it. They offer a lot of good training and a lot of exposure and a lot of opportunity to grow as an advocate in the realm of injury prevention. And so it has been an amazing experience this past year. And people who are interested could consider applying other trainees. Coming into next year, I know they're going to be recruiting another group of trainees to join the team. 
So we'll put some information about that in the show notes so people can look at that. And maybe we'll go over at the very end, just some how to how to find out more. So I want to talk a little bit about now about the reason that you reached out. And that is a special campaign that's going to happen on October 27th. And what's it about and what is hashtag safer storage about? Of course. So as part of the Chinese for Child Injury Prevention, we, in our second half of our year of training, the trainees picked a topic that we were passionate about that we wanted to advocate for. Prior campaigns that we we focused on were magnet safety, button battery ingestions, but firearm safety has always been a big topic of interest for advocates, especially in the realm of childhood injury. And many of our members were very passionate about it. And so it became our advocacy topic for this fall's campaign. And as part of our campaign, we go through a pretty rigorous process. It's actually quite nuanced how we sort of make different materials. I know, for example, that hashtag that you mentioned, hashtag safer storage, had to go through multiple rounds of vetting and conversation. And it became this because of our focus on firearm safety around the realm of safe storage of firearms in the house. I think everybody is quite aware in the pediatric realm that the safest home for a child is a home without a firearm in it. And that's always like number one, first step of firearm advocacy is making sure that people are aware of that topic. But this, we also have to embrace the fact, especially coming from Ohio, where I'm doing my training, that there are many people that are not going to take the firearm out of their house, no matter how well you try to advocate for that. And so making sure you have knowledge about where to go from there. There are still things that can be done to reduce the risk of injury, not remove it altogether like we would want it initially. And that's where safer storage comes in. You hear a lot about campaigns that call it safe storage. And part of the vetting process that we embraced was that there isn't really a 100% safe storage option. The best option is just not to have it in the house. But if you are to have it in the house, safer storage, trying to achieve the best we can to store the weapons in a way that a child could not put their hands on it in a way that they could hurt themselves or somebody else is the goal of this campaign. Well, I think that's, I mean, this is a hard topic for a lot of us. I mean, I think most of us encounter families that, you know, a firearm is an important, it's important to them for many reasons. I mean, Mm -hmm. I live in Michigan. We have a lot of people that hunt and, you know, it, it becomes kind of a political issue, but this is really talking about safety, right? So what's the language that you would use? I mean, if I'm a parent and I'm coming in and you ask me, you know, first of all, how do you ask? But let's say you ask me if I have a firearm and I say yes, and I might get my dander up. I might, you know, get bristle a little bit at that. I mean, Mm -hmm. what's the language that you would use both to ask and both to advise? I think especially, once again, in a lot of the communities you work in, we work in, I agree, there's a lot of families that are very passionate about their the, both their ownership of weapons for firearms for hunting, but also for a sense of safety, a sense of their own right to do so. And so being trying to be respectful of that is important for engaging with families about um, how to minimize risk. 
And so once again, a very open question without judgment, is there any firearms in the house? And if you wanted to bring that to the next point, I asked because there are additional resources and advice that I can offer that can improve safety in the house. Sometimes it is the, not the best route to make it sound from the start that you might recommend the removal of a firearm because people do get very passionate about that. When you're just trying to get your way in the door, it's better just to start broad, start open, and start from a place of absolutely no judgment. Is there a firearm and is there anything I can offer to help with the safety of that firearm? Yeah, I've sometimes used, you know, I don't know about you, but many of our families have firearms. Do you do you have a firearm in the home? Mm-hmm. And can you tell me a little bit about how it's stored? Mm-hmm. Just so I get a sense of, you know, how, how it's stored, right? I think that that next question leads from leads naturally from that first one. Like, how is it maintained in the house? And is it maintained, is it stored in a way that is the safest that we can achieve for it? And so there's a lot of, there's a whole like market around safe storage of firearms that's out there. And there's a lot of things like safes, gun locks, gun boxes. There's a lot of options and there's even options to help support families who might not be able to afford a safe option for themselves. Many uh, police departments that you could reach out to have gun boxes that they can loan. Sometimes even hospitals will have access to storage options because we all recognize once again that the safest home is one without a firearm, but there's going to be many families that we need to talk about option two, three, four, to minimize risk as much as we can. Yeah, I think, you know, certainly anybody that listens knows that suicide prevention is near and dear to my heart. And of course, when we have a a, a teen that is suicidal or a younger child who is suicidal, you know, we always need to ask about firearm access because of safety. And I think, you know, my sense is, is that, you know, no one wants their child to be injured or killed by their own firearm, of course, you know. And so sometimes having the conversation around, around again, safety is, is different. So I think that that sometimes helps. And interesting, I've been to um, some meetings with people uh, that had various feelings about firearms. And I found that the people that own firearms know a lot more about gun safety than I do because you know, I'm not, I don't own a firearm. I don't know the first thing about it. But a lot of them were very concerned about how um, firearms would be stored and were very supportive of having safer storage. So I think that there's sort of a, maybe a, a misunderstanding that people with firearms want to store them in an unsafe manner. And and I yeah. think I think to your point is how do we kind of get all on the same page? So, so using the hashtag safer storage on your day of action, which we're going to talk about in a minute is, is something everybody should keep in mind that's listening. So, so that launches into, so what's this day of action that's going to happen tomorrow on October 27th? And what, what do you want listeners to do? So the hashtag safer storage day of action is, very focused on the sort of resources and tools that we've been talking about. How do you talk to people about firearms? How do people talk to each other? How do you talk to a neighbor that you're going to send your kid to about, is there a firearm in the house and is it stored safely? 
And then what are options for safe storage? It's very educational. The hashtag safer storage is going to be the social media campaign happens at two o'clock that day, though there will be additional resources sort of spread throughout the day. And it's going to be sent through the Center for Injury Research and Policy at Nationwide Children's, which their their Twitter handle is C-I-R-P at N-C-H. And so C-I-R-P-A-T-N-C-H. And they'll be leading and disseminating resources. The the resources that we're going to try to offer are available to many different people. They're going to be accessible to parents, to concerned family members, members of the public, but also to care providers, nurses, pediatricians, even adult providers who might want to have these conversations with their patients as well. So Um, I'm not super savvy, but I do do a little bit of Twitter. So if I wanted to post something on social media, what might that look like? And so the the social media platform we're going to be initiating all of this on is going to be on Twitter. So any social media platform, you can take these resources from the media platform on Twitter and put them in a Facebook. You can make a video on TikTok. You could use, oh, I don't know if Google Plus is still a thing. I might have closed that last year. But there's a lot of different options out there for getting this information to different people. And you would probably need to make an account. And then the, each of these accounts has like a messaging section of their, of their platform. And then people that are following you or people that you choose to follow can see your messages. And when you, there are common resources, common tools that a lot of these platforms now use. And one of them that is initiated on Twitter, but I think a lot of Instagram and Facebook have started using as well, is the hashtag to cover individual topics that your your message is relevant to. And for us, our the hashtag that we're going to try to take over is the safer storage hashtag. And, and then so, are there there are some images that you shared with me. Are those going to be accessible to listeners so that they could post the image and write a comment and then hashtag safer storage? Is that something that listeners could do? Yes, exactly. And that's where there's some basic images that we already have. I mentioned a lot of the vetting process. And you even mentioned earlier that sometimes people with firearm experience have a lot more knowledge about safety options. That's partially why the vetting process is taking so long, because some of our images were not accurate for the the individual firearm that we displayed or something like that. So making sure that these images are appropriate is important for us. But that does lead to the fact that there are going to be dozens of images and uh, topics that we're going to present during the day of action. And you can take those images and those topics and bring them into your own feed. On Twitter, you can do something as easy as retweeting, which basically means you take our tweet and you share it with your followers. But you could also copy, take, download the images and put them into other forms of social media, such as Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. And those resources are going to be shared through the Twitter handle of our Center for Injury Research and Policy here at Nationwide. And their handle is the, they're at C-I-R-P at A-T-N-C-H. So SERP at N-C-H. And that Twitter is going to be sort of the originator of a lot of the resources that we try to share. And then on a national platform, we're just hoping that as many people take these resources and share them with their followers and then their followers share them. And that's how you make something 
just sort of explode on public media platforms and get a lot more people viewing them. One of the big goals of this year's campaign is to try to get more families, more community organizations involved in the day of action. Because one of the things with social media is that because it goes to your followers, if a lot of your followers are doctors, then it sort of stays in the medical community and it sort of cycles within the medical providers. And that is good. We have resources that are targeting clinicians that are supposed to be things that could be hung, hanged up in your office and your clinic to teach patients about. But a lot of this is also going to be useful for parents And so reaching out to different community organizations has been a big component of this as well, to have them uh, be a part of the campaign when the time starts on the day of action. And then I understand there's an educational webinar, correct? Yes. So those who are medical providers are probably the ones that most benefit from the webinar. Webinar is at 12 o'clock. It is another activity that we are organizing here. Um, is, it that, is going to is, be is that Eastern Standard Time? Eastern Standard Time, twelve o'clock. Yes, and I believe that this is it has the speaker is going to be the president elect of the American Board of Pediatrics. I'm going to bring up the image because I haven't got a chance to meet her yet, so I don't remember her name as well as I should. I think it's uh, uh, Judy Schechter. There we go. That is correct. So she'll be she'll be leading a a seminar at twelve o'clock. Um, which people who have access to our, our webinar images will be able to sign up for. But the this one in particular is more oriented towards providers. And it asks a lot, it talks a lot about the importance of asking and engaging with families about the presence of firearms and how to optimize the safety of those firearms. Yeah, I think what you're saying to me, sounds like we just need to be able to have some conversations about this and Mm -hmm. sort of take the heat out of it and the politicization of it, because we really need to talk about how can we help keep your child safe and how can we work with you to to find something that's going to work for your family and in a way that, you know, doesn't feel threatening to folks. I think everybody, I would be impressed of anybody that made it through residency that hasn't had an experience with a firearm injury that has impacted them. I have had many in my three years here, way too many, some of them very bad. And it is, this is just one thing that we can do to try to minimize those moments. I think that a lot of times, one thing we talked about a little bit earlier A lot of times people, when they think about firearm injuries with children, they think about accidental injuries. But you even mentioned when we're getting to the teenage population and even onwards into adult adult populations who are injured by firearms, we're also worried about, are they going to utilize that in a moment of weakness? I actually just, it must be because I'm Googling this so often, but YouTube sent me a link from the Veteran Affairs Office about how safe storage is one barrier to utilizing a firearm to hurt yourself. And that one barrier could be the thing that makes you rethink utilizing that firearm for that purpose. Right. I think that's certainly, certainly true in the suicide prevention world is just one step away. You know, the, the, the more that you have to stop and think about 
where the firearm is or whatever method that is you're thinking about. But of course, because of the lethality of firearms, it's such a, a much more significant. And I know with, you mentioned veterans, you know, for a lot of veterans, a firearm is their their friend. I mean, it has kept them safe. And so parting with that is often difficult. Um, but when I've spoken with other veterans, um, one of the things they said is oftentimes they are willing to have a buddy keep the keep the firearm temporarily if they're thinking about suicide and that, I mean, these veterans had shared with me, this had saved their lives by doing that. And, and again, I think, how do we have those conversations about safety? And, and I do not mean to minimize by any means the experience of veterans, you know, and, and what that experience is like and, and having your safety threatened all the time. So I can, I can only imagine that safety is, is, you know, front and center and coming home doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, our, our brains remember that stuff, right? I mean, we all know about fight or flight. Our brains, our brains store that kind of fear. And so it's, it's no surprise, but again, you know, no one would want their firearm used to, to harm a child or a teenager. And I think there's also, you know, teen homicide kids. uh, Just recently, I think there was another school situation where a kid took a, an 18 year old took a weapon to the school. Unfortunately, there were no deaths, but you know, it's just too, too easy. And, you know, and they're getting the firearm somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. That's part of the safe storage. I think that when it comes to, I make this dichotomy between the younger children and the older children, partially because the older children might utilize a weapon in once again, a moment of of confusion, a moment of weakness to harm themselves or somebody else. In these moments, I think that if they, if any of these children, any of these young adults had the opportunity to have just one additional step or a few additional steps to getting that firearm, that could mean a lot of them not doing it. It's a very clear image to anybody that this is locked up, this is stored away. My parents keep this far away from me and I am doing something against their wishes. I am definitely breaking some policy that we have in this house to try to get this weapon out of the safe storage area. And that, I would would think, would cause any young person to think about what they might be doing at the time. Well, and I think parents underestimate what kids know. I mean, I had a family one time and I was talking with them and, you know, asked, and the, the father said, Oh no, he can't get to it. He doesn't know where they are. And I asked the kid and he's like, yeah, I know where it is. And you know, I could, I could climb in the room where it's locked and get in the window. So, I mean, he knew how to access it and, you know, and it was a kind of a open eyes for both of, I mean, the dad and I kind of looked at each other like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So I think, but you know, that wouldn't have come up had we not had the conversation about that. And, you know, I mean, the dad was, you know, surprised and also horrified, like, I need to do something different. So, well, I appreciate all this information. And I guess, again, we'll just need to make sure that there are some links in the show notes so people can get to the information. Is there any other words that you want to leave with listeners about how to get involved? Well, I think that we've, we've covered a lot of it. I might just reemphasize a few things. On the day of action, October 27th, there are currently two main scheduled events. One of them is at noon, which is a webinar 
that you should be able to have a link to within the resources associated with this podcast. And that one is oriented towards healthcare providers and talking about firearm safety with patients. At two o'clock is when the social media campaign occurs. And that will be led by the Twitter handle for the Center for Injury Research and Policy here at Nationwide at the at their Twitter handle of C-I-R-P-A-T-N-C-H or SERP at NCH. And I would follow them and look out for our hashtag safe for storage on the day of action and contribute in any way that you can to get this, these messages, these resources out to as many people as we can. If I can do a retweet, anybody can. <laughs> so it, it's not not super difficult, but well, listen, Josh, thanks so much. And as always, I'm so oh great, gratified and have a lot of gratitude that, you know, our our younger trainees are so active and so passionate and changing the world all the time. I mean, uh, keep doing the work you're doing. And I appreciate the opportunity to get the word out. Thank you so much. And thank you to all the people that have contributed to mine and the education of other pediatric trainees in, in this topic of advocacy and in the more focused topic of firearms safety for our kids. Well, thanks so much and take care. I want to thank Josh for sharing all this information. And I am so excited about the work that the trainees are doing. So mark your calendars for that October 27th day of action. And I'll include information in just a few minutes. So here are my takeaways. Number one, in the United States, there are approximately 4.6 million children living in a home with a firearm, and every two hours and 48 minutes, a child dies as a result of a firearm injury. These numbers are staggering, and we really have to share these statistics with our families. Number two, the conversations are hard and the emotions run high, but we must be able to talk about keeping kids safe. We must learn to approach the conversation with empathy, and using motivational interviewing strategies can be helpful and you can actually go to the American Board of Pediatrics site, and there's an MOC Part 2 and an MOC Part 4 if you're interested in motivational interviewing and a QI project. Number three, while the safest home for a child is one without a gun, safer storage is the next best thing, and that can include a lockbox, safe gun safes, gun locks, storing ammunition separately, and actually by disarming a firearm. No parent wants their firearm to be used to kill their own child. Number four, you know from my podcast that I have a true crusade for suicide prevention. And in the case of children, teens, and young adults that have mental health or emotional health concerns, removing a firearm from the home needs to be a, a heart-to-heart conversation. It needs to be out of the home. No parent wants their child to die by the parent's own firearm. And while many may believe it can't happen to them, tragically, it happens all the time. Lives are lost and lives are changed forever. So again, just remember tomorrow, October 27th, that day of action. And you can go to the Twitter platform at C-I-R-P, small letters A-T, capital N-C-H, to be able to participate in that social media campaign And you can also post just information on your own platforms and use the hashtag, hashtag safer storage. 
And you can also just retweet if you are able to do that. That would be great. There's also a webinar and all that information will be in the show notes. So again, get active, post for us, and let's all continue to try and keep kids safe. Thanks so much. And please tune in tomorrow for a very special podcast on autism spectrum disorders. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Let's do better together. This podcast was made possible by the team at Streamlined Podcasts. Music was composed by Connor McHugh and cover art was designed by Alexia Barrero.